welcome to Streaming Into the Void, where we discuss all the streaming news for the week ending May 28, 2022. This week, it's Streampocalypse Now. Actually, Kim, I think it's Streampocalypse Plus. I, I thought it was Streampocalypse Max. I'm Kim Hollis, and I do believe it's clobbering time. You know, I'd get excited and think you're finally into Fantastic Four, but I know that's not what this is. (laughs) (laughs) Also, Tim Brighty, writer, gamer, very nice, and very evil. You may now just call me Timhausen. Timhausen, perfect. Also, David Mumpower, published author, media analyst, and missing Stranger Things for this recording. Appreciate my sacrifice, people. (laughs) And the podcast is produced and edited by Raul Burial. Let's get this over with, people. There's stuff on streaming I need to watch. Mm-hmm. I think there is for all of us. Mm-hmm. Appreciate the sacrifice, everyone. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> this week in our deep dive, is streaming dead or isn't it? Well, if it is, this is going to be a short podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Poor subscriber numbers, stock market crashes, and an end to lockdown suggests that the era of people staying home and watching endless hours of streaming is over. But then again, Nielsen says April was another record-breaking month for streaming. Which one is it? So Nielsen's finally pulled the curtain back on their ratings platform. It's something they're calling The Gauge, but they've been putting out this report essentially in this format for a while now. They've just given it a brand now. And what they're saying is that in March, streaming captured 29.7% of all TV viewership all TV viewership. In April, that rose to a record 30.4% compared to 24.7% for broadcast, 36.8% for cable, and 8.2% for other, whatever that is. I'm guessing that's satellite or... It's platform. So it's going to be like satellite or fiber to the home. Is is that still a thing? Does Fios still exist? So, I don't know. What matters is we're winning. <laughs> or are we? Listen, congratulations. Yay, streaming. What this is saying is that a larger piece of the pie went to streaming in April 2022 than ever before. But if you look at this report, it doesn't actually tell you how big the pie is. It's all percentages. There are no solid numbers. We don't know how big that pie is. And maybe, and I'm actually rather certain about this, people are watching less TV across the board in April 2022. Certainly, we've discussed how anemic the actual minutes watched numbers were on the weekly Nielsen charts for this last month. Since those numbers reflect only a handful of streamers, Netflix, Hulu, Disney+, Amazon Prime Video, and Apple TV+, is it possible that those people are actually watching more of the unmetered services like HBO Max, Paramount Plus, or Peacock? Or is it that there's actually fewer people watching TV at at all. If we do a deep dive into those numbers, I really feel that it is simply there are fewer people watching. And of those who are watching, yes, a larger percentage than ever has gone to streaming. But that's not a good thing. The market is shrinking overall for everyone. Traditional MVPD providers, so these are cable companies like Comcast and Cox, are all reporting continued subscriber decline. If you look at all these companies, they have fewer subscribers quarter over quarter 
quarter. They are shrinking. Similarly, Nielsen Sagage shows us that streaming virtual MVPDs, what we would call over-the-top or skinny bundle services like Hulu Plus Live or Sling TV or YouTube TV or DirecTV Stream or FUBU TV are showing zero growth, all except YouTube TV, which hasn't formally announced subscriber numbers in nearly two years. And so you got to worry when they're not announcing subscriber numbers. And according to Nielsen, YouTube TV has shown moderate growth from 2% in 2020 to 3% in 2021 to 5% in 2022. Those are not big numbers. And yet, despite these stagnant numbers, the user share for virtual MVPDs compared to Comcast and Dish Network and Cox and everything else has gone from 7% in 2020 to 9% in 2021 to 13% in 2022. Stagnant growth, and yet they are getting a bigger share of the market year over year over year. That doesn't mean that more people are signing up for these services. Clearly, they're not. Their subscriber numbers are flat. It means the pie is getting smaller. Fewer people are watching streaming on their TVs. Fewer people are watching everything on their TVs. This speaks to my constant drumbeat that linear TV is dead. People really do not want to watch that live content anymore, whether it's on traditional platforms like Comcast or DirecTV or Cox, nor do they want to watch it on these virtual MVPDs like Hulu Plus Live, like FUBU, like YouTube Live. Linear is dead, but it also means, more broadly speaking, that when people are watching stuff, they're not watching it on their big TV in the living room anymore. And that is, I think, ultimately where Nielsen is really showing a huge blind spot. We, I think, all agree that people are watching streaming, but Nielsen only meters people on televisions. And people aren't watching streaming on televisions. They're watching streaming on their phones, on their tablets, on their computers. Nielsen is not metering that, and they are suffering from that. And this report is trying to sugarcoat that. Okay, so Raul's soliloquy does raise several different conversation points, and it's stuff that we have discussed in pieces over the years. It is challenging to break up into small bites, but I do think we all agree, don't we, that linear television is effectively as dead right now as newspapers were at the turn of the 21st century. Do we all agree with that? This is something that started years ago with the DVR. No one wants to be sitting down in front of their TV at eight o'clock so they can watch that show that everyone's talking about. They want to watch it on their schedule when they want to watch it. Appointment viewing is dead. Absolutely. I definitely think that linear television is in a crisis point. We saw it with newspapers and the ones that have survived long term found different revenue streams and ways of doing business. And that is the inflection point that linear TV is experiencing right now. Not necessarily adapting super well, in my opinion. But yes, people are streaming. Everybody talks about streaming. People talk about what they're watching on streaming. And to believe that it is suffering or that streaming is dead is ridiculous. It is, of course, going to be our primary means of watching programming for the foreseeable future. And the other thing I'll add here is a lot of this comes down to timing. We just had the upfronts. And the upfronts are an absolutely absurd exercise at this point. But this is how television has always been sold. You go in April and May and you say, here's what we're going to do. 
in the fall. And then people buy their ads for that season, depending on what you have right now. We're seeing the same thing with movies where people are pretending like the movie industry is coming back when it's not, because that is the lie we want to tell ourselves to sustain these old business models that are decaying. With streaming, we're watching the opposite. What is happening right now is you just saw services like Comcast with Peacock and with Warner Media and Discovery with HBO Max. They have to sell their cable programming so that they will get cable programming advertising revenue so that they can continue to sustain and grow the brands with their streaming services, which they all know is the future. This is a lie being told at the moment so that everyone will look the other way while they take money right now for the decaying models. It is not the long-term plan, but they're going to pretend like it is because that's what you do when you're in sales is you exaggerate, if not lie. Streaming's numbers are only down from the perspective that we're not watching on televisions anymore, a point that Raul just made abundantly clear. We're in a blind spot where the way we consume media isn't the way that the oldest service for this gauging, Nielsen, understands. Nielsen as a current product right now is so flawed, it hurts my teeth. And we're going to do Nielsen streaming numbers in a little while. And we do this weekly because we find it informational, but we also occasionally stress the problems that stem from it because we're aware the blind spot for this, if you're driving a car with a blind spot like this, you're going to have a serious accident. It is that glaring and there's nothing we can do about it. The biggest issue for me here is, is the constant focus on viewership on a television. Nielsen has in its existence always metered based on the fact that a family of people may be watching or back in the radio days listening to content collectively together. So when they're saying that this household is watching a program, that could be four or five people. That is not how content is being consumed anymore. Given this clear tipping towards tablets and phones for viewership, this is now a one-on-one experience. This is not necessarily a bad thing for advertisers because that advertisement for Chantix on television that may appeal to grandpa wouldn't necessarily appeal to the three other people that are watching that program today. Now you can actually be playing an ad that appeals specifically to the person consuming that content because it has become a one one-on-one experience between the viewer and the show they are watching. If you were to properly meter mobile devices, phones, and tablets, you would be actually targeting a better audience. You would have better information. And this is good news for advertisers. But so long as Nielsen keeps this focus on we are going to meter televisions, that doesn't really help. It's simply kicking the can down the road. One very obvious data point in the gauge was the fact that YouTube combined with YouTube TV only captured 6.1% of viewership in April 2022. That is an unreasonably small number when you realize that people are just watching YouTube constantly on their desktops, on their phones, on their tablets throughout the day. And because those devices aren't being metered, YouTube comes away with only 6.1% of viewership. Let's be clear on that number. That's the equivalent of in a basketball game, only seeing two or three shots from a two hour game. That's how big a blind spot we're talking about. 
Yep. And of course, because these mobile devices aren't being metered, other mobile streaming services like TikTok, like Instagram, like Snapchat don't chart here because there is no TikTok on television or Instagram on your set-top box or Snapchat on your smart TV. So we are ignoring, never mind the future, we are ignoring the present to continue to look at how content was being consumed historically. And that is just not how content is being consumed anymore. You're absolutely correct there, but there are people who are looking forward and anticipating the future. We're not speaking about them enough. And I feel like we're kind of doing a disservice. Like I know that uh, Raul, you were talking about this the other day. What's happening with Candle Media, the Kevin Meyer, Tom Staggs thing? Yeah, this one I like. This is my favorite part of the broadcast because this is when we talk about mergers and acquisitions. Candle Media, which is an investment firm with backing from uh, Blackstone, the equity giant, they have been, as we know, been buying up production companies and little studios here and there. They bought Will Smith thing right before Will Smith became a household name. (laughs) For the bad reasons. <laughs> they bought Reese Witherspoon's production company, Hello Sunshine. They bought Moonbug Entertainment, which produces Coco Melon and Blippy, which I assure you all is actually a thing. They bought Faraway Road, the production studio that produces the Israeli thriller Fauda on Netflix. And you start looking at all these pieces, and I couldn't see the puzzle until I learned that they had also bought the Home Edit, the lifestyle brand that also has this homemade makeover program that's popular on Netflix right now. And the thing that I'm convinced you and Tim are making up. You're going to keep telling this lie again. <laughs> Tim all but admitted during Nilsson a couple of weeks ago that it's a lie. Come on. This doesn't exist. I registered the homeedit.com just to scam you, David. It's becoming more and more obvious that Candle Media, this company, is starting to buy up a whole bunch of assets from independent producers that sell their content to Netflix. The reason why is not entirely clear. There's a lot of speculation there, but one thing they could be doing is they could be yanking their content from Netflix and selling it to somebody else, further weakening Netflix. But why would they want to do that? They could bundle it all together and try to sell it to Netflix for more, or they could leverage all these assets of these shows that appear on Netflix as a means to, I don't know, buy Netflix? I mean, let's be realistic here. It would not be Candle Media buying Netflix. It would be Blackstone, which is a much bigger story and frankly, one that alarms me. But there is suddenly smoke to the fire that Netflix's stability isn't there. As a matter of fact, I had to write 1,400 words the other day about whether Disney should buy Netflix, because that idea, which would have been legitimately insane and mathematically impossible six months ago, is now at least somewhat viable because Netflix's market cap has dropped down to 85 billion or so, which just how? How did that happen? So we're kind of in that that weird zone right now where suddenly people are eyeing Netflix and going, wait, could we take that over? But the flip side is, Roland, we've been having this discussion offline a lot. What are you getting with Netflix? Is that like buying Blockbuster in 2002? Are we 100% sure that Netflix is coming back? And if so, why? Right. Okay. This pivot that, that we just did, of course, towards Candle Media, you have to wonder, how did we get to the segue? I have to point out, there are companies out there, very forward-looking companies that do see a future in streaming. But the simple fact of the matter is, is they're seeing a future in streaming where streaming is mobile and streaming is personal. And I think Candle Media sees that very well. What we're seeing with Netflix as a potential takeover asset is that it's got two things. 
It's got IP, intellectual property, and it's got subscribers. It doesn't have a lot of IP. It's got Stranger Things. It's got Squid Game. It hasn't really been able to build a lot of intellectual property. And in terms of subscribers, it is still today the largest streaming service in the world. The reason I don't think Disney buys Netflix is because a lot of the current Disney Plus, Hulu, ESPN Plus subscribers are probably also Netflix subscribers. So they get no real boost from buying Netflix. They get a handful of additional intellectual property that they add to the Disney vaults and yay, Squid Game attractions at Walt Disney World? No. You're joking. It would be Stranger Things. And Stranger Things has already demonstrated tremendous drawing power at Universal Studios for those special Halloween Horror Nights things. But let me stop you right there because I feel like we can't let that go unchallenged. So Tim, Kim, I'm curious about your opinions. How much overlap do you believe there is in Netflix subscribers versus Disney Plus? I think there's huge overlap between them. I feel like the same audience that tends to watch a lot of what Disney Plus offers as far as like the Marvel programming, the Star Wars programming, and that kind of thing is the same audience that likes Stranger Things and Cobra Kai and yes, Squid Game even. It's, you know, there's families here involved. So you've got Disney Plus is often really the good family streaming service, although they have some now things that are not just family type programs. Whereas Netflix, while they have that family friendly stuff, the family friendly stuff feels really amateur versus Disney's more sophisticated family offerings. So yeah, lots of crossover between them and quite frankly, between many of the streaming services, if you ask me. Yeah, while not every Netflix subscriber is a Disney Plus subscriber, I would wager the vast majority of Disney Plus subscribers are also Netflix subscribers. Okay, then. So it is all four of us, which admittedly is a very small sample size, but we agree Disney is not going to benefit a great deal from Netflix because it already has infrastructure from BAMTech. Netflix isn't known for its IP, and Disney doesn't immediately boost its subscriber numbers, which makes that a very questionable $100 billion check. And in fact, when I was writing it the other day, I told Kim, it reminded me a lot of the DirecTV purchase. You're buying something six years too late and for many, many billion dollars more. So Raul, I agree with what you're uh, selling here. Go on. So Netflix is not a potential takeover target for Disney, but they are a potential takeover target for somebody else, someone who wants to enter the streaming game who isn't in the streaming game right now. Now I circle back around to the company that is sitting on the fence. There's very few things that frustrate me more than fence sitters. I want them to make a move. And that company here is Sony. And we're going to get into Sony a little bit later and actually in the green lights and cancellations. Let's not cover that right now. But if Sony wanted to get into the stream business right now, again, where they were once and they had to get out because it simply wasn't making sense for them back then, buying Netflix would immediately make them the number one company in streaming. David, you're always throwing out the Simpsons analogies. You throw them out and then I always cut them out of the broadcast. Nobody ever hears them. They, (laughs) They are the guy in the white suit standing on the side during the fight. 
the little guy hasn't done anything yet. You know, it'll be good when he does. Exactly. Something's going to come out of Sony one day. Either they're going to get sold or they are going to buy something. And when they do, it's going to change the industry. And we just need to wait for that to happen. I'm going to start calling your Sony conspiracy theories Raul and on. That's how much you're on this. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, that is the fascinating part of all this is what we're discussing right now isn't really just about Netflix or Sony or Disney. It is what we're looking at right now. There is about to be contraction. And what we're looking for are the pieces that make the most sense for that contraction, because we believe that streaming is going to be a viable marketplace for decades to come. But the way we look at it isn't correct because we're about to have Web 3.0, the metaverse, and all of these other buzzwords you're hearing right now. But what all that means is how you consume media. So you need to find the right partner for how you consume media. Otherwise, it's going to be a very expensive and messy divorce down the line. And just to bring that back around, of course, when we're talking about this Web 3.0 metaverse experience, it comes right back to this one-on-one -on -one thing where people are still using their living room TVs, but they're using it for stuff like gaming. And when you're gaming on the living room TV, it's just you. It's not you and grandma and grandpa and mom and dad and, and Jenny and Jimmy watching with you. Maybe they are, maybe they're not. But by and large, when you are playing that game, Call of Duty, or Grand Theft Auto on that television. It is you and the television and everybody else is on their tablets and their phones. And so it's all about building out those one-on-one -on -one experiences, those experiential moments. And this is where this philosophy of IP, of intellectual property is really coming into play now where people want to be able to experience the Grand Theft Auto world or the Halo world individually. The fact that Microsoft came to the market market and gave us a Halo series, they did it too late. We don't want a Halo series anymore. And the fact that it is as terrible. Well, we don't want that one. That's for sure. But the question is, do we want any? Because really the way we want to consume Halo is to play Halo. Putting it out there as a movie or a television series may be a way to increase that audience, but it is simply a way to increase that audience so that they play more of the game. Today, it's all about what is your portfolio like? What are your intellectual properties? And how can you make it so that each individual consumer interacts with that intellectual property individually? The markets are changing. This Nielsen report is interesting in the fact that if you look at the numbers for what they are, you realize, yes, group consumption of content is going away. And we are moving towards a one-on-one -on -one world of which streaming is a very large part. So folks, if you want to just skip to this part of the podcast, the too long didn't listen is streaming isn't going anywhere. Linear television is dying and we're working on the next thing and how streaming fits into the next thing is what everyone is trying to figure out right now. And we're on that list too, because it's muddled at the moment. All right, Tim, before we go into the ratings, why don't we talk a little bit about what's happening at the box office this weekend? Uh, so remember that whole thing about like theaters aren't going to be the same ever again and all that stuff because <laughs> of the pandemic. Um, there's a movie out this weekend that is now the widest release in history, like most theaters ever. Come on. <laughs> 
Top Gun Maverick. No one had that in the pool. I'm uh, sorry. Of this. Top Gun movie? What year yeah. is it? Exactly. How many years later? What, thir- 36 years later? What was it? 1986, right? Something like that? 1986, yeah. 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 This, this film is so old that it was a Don Simpson production, which, by the way, don't ever Google him. He was evil. But Don Simpson died in 1996. That's how long ago that was. And that was 10 years after that movie came out, by the way. So the mere existence of this film, I I mean, we have joked about it. You know, we eventually got Chinese democracy and we eventually got Duke Nukem forever. So this is the third (laughs) steal unbroken right now. (laughs) And the Halo series. Yes. Uh, By the way, all the things we're mentioning except for Top Gun are terrible. So give it a lot of credit. This movie is is getting ridiculously amazing reviews. Like, holy crap. Now, hold on a second, guys. Those two statements are not mutually exclusive. The fact that movie going is going to change forever and this movie has gotten the most screens ever of any movie. Yeah, that's that's true. It's just really freaking weird. Yeah. Yeah, I think it underscores the philosophy we always had, which is that the small to medium films were going to get squeezed out and the juggernaut films are going to remain juggernauts. And Tim, this is trending toward juggernaut, isn't it? Uh, so we're recording this on Friday, so we only have the Thursday number, but it's pretty impressive. 19.3 million uh, headed into a holiday weekend. So yeah, this could be a, a big one. The record actually for Memorial Day is not as high as you think. It turns out it's only 114 million, and that belongs to Pirates of the Caribbean at World End from 2007. So yeah, that that might fall. I mean, that legitimately is nearly the same numbers as the Batman. And let's mm-hmm. be honest, a Top Gun sequel 36 years later has no business even approaching no. the signature comic book character. I mean, this is this is very impressive. Yeah, this is this is one of the biggest upsets of the year. The fact just the fact that this movie exists. I mean, really. That's right. And, and the fact that, it, that it's good and it's going to make a whole lot of money. When did Tom Cruise jump on Oprah's couch? <laughs> So many people have done so many worse things since then. That seems like yeah, that right. that just seems like a, a that, seems, that seems that seems quaint now. Yeah, yeah, very quaint. Yes, oh, look at Tom Cruise. He's a, little, he's a little crazy. Yeah, we love Tom Cruise, don't we, Kim? I mean, we're not ashamed. Oh of yeah, I I am not ashamed to say that I think he is absolutely fantastic. He's a great actor. I've seen most of his work over the years, including. I think Risky Business was my first rated R movie in the theater. (laughs) Oh, you saucy minx. Yeah, I mean, we can joke about it all we want, but the reality is Tom Cruise has always been exceptional at picking scripts. I mean, if you talk about Mission Impossible 3, 4, 5, and 6, I defy anyone to say any of those movies is anything other than excellent. I, I mean, I really do. And then, you know, just like his random projects, like The Last Samurai, they're so high quality and he he gets the fact that in the end what people will judge all performers by is their work and his work is going to outlive him and it's great i'm very very impressed by what is his latest comeback and everything it represents tim 140 150 does that sound about right to you yeah that wouldn't surprise me at all with that that type of performance yeah what movie was about to come out when he did the whole oprah couch jumping thing wasn't that mission impossible 3 which then like underperformed and everyone was like "Uh uh-oh is is the clock ticking and then here we go they they basically a few years later rebooted that series 
And those next movies, I mean, I guess you'd be like third if you're mentioning it, but since then have been great. And then we just got the trailer this week for for the next one, so which I'm super excited for. His couch jumping happened in 2005, and it was either right before or as promotion for War of the Worlds. And I've always been a little bothered by it because it undercut the fact that, that he had just... Right. But he had just done Collateral, and Collateral might be the greatest film of his career, which is saying something. And I say that as, by the way, a Mission Impossible super fan, but Collateral... Collateral's as close to perfect as a movie can be. But after that, he did Lions for Lambs, he did Valkyrie, he did Night and Day, all of which wildly underperformed. His only hit there was the one where he didn't look like Tom Cruise, which was Tropic <laughs> Thunder. Thunder, yeah. <laughs> So he literally had to hide who he was for the next five years. It was that bad. <laughs> and by the way, let's be clear. They filmed the next Mission Impossible movie, Dead Reckoning, in outer space. So that one's going to do pretty well at the box office Oh, as well. yeah. The thing about Tom Cruise is he is extremely charismatic. He is also very kind. I think he really cares about people, even if sometimes he does things that are off the wall with Scientology and everything. He means well. We've been at a premiere of his. What I was just so impressed with when we saw him was he stopped to interact with people. He knew they were there to to see him and to have an experience. And I feel like he truly wanted to make sure that it was something memorable and enjoyable, looking people in the eyes, shaking hands, etc. It, it was impressive. So after all that talk about how April was the greatest month of streaming ever, according to Nielsen, well, I guess we should talk about these Nielsen ratings, huh? How about the proof in the pudding? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, here we go. I always it's, like to hear about 6% of the numbers. Yes. Yes. It's the Nielsen <laughs> streaming ratings for Sunday, April 25th to Monday, May 1st. And yeah, I, I mean, as we've stated numerous times we know it's a very small portion of the full picture they're not gospel here but it's just some data that we know that it's not counting things like say hbo max it's not counting roles beloved paramount plus it's missing a lot of a, a lot of things but you know it's numbers it's fun to talk about we know that ozark is a popular series for instance even if these numbers don't don't bear out but yeah well let's, let's see what we have speaking of ozark it, it's back the uh, second half of the final season arrived and it came in with uh, over 2.5 billion minutes and that's just for three days i think we can say that's quite solid yeah we saw that last time when the first half of the season launched i'm expecting a big jump next week possibly to that four billion number again but um we'll see i just would have expected maybe even bigger numbers i would have expected record numbers even if it's just those three days yeah okay let's wait to see what it's like next week when we get a full seven days mm -hmm. but this has been a blockbuster series season after season after season and this is the big grand finale i would have expected it to explode out of the gate and right now it's doing equally as good out of the gate yeah i think that's the whole splitting the season thing which again we're going to see with uh, Stranger Things as well, I, I believe, is is you're getting those two really good spikes instead of that one absolutely insane spike. I wonder if that has something to do with it. And I wonder if that's better for Netflix. I wonder if that keeps people you know subscribed or, or maybe makes them subscribe for two months rather than just the one month. Yeah, that's actually something that cable uh, networks started doing some time ago. I believe the last season of Breaking Bad was split in two and that got a lot of people upset. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> and, and, and we've seen that 
with the last season of Game of Thrones and the last season of a number of different shows. Of course, Stranger Things season four is being split in two, but that is not the last season. I think it is, as Tim says, it is a way of parceling out the content while not actually just giving us one episode at a time. Yeah, I think, I mean, the best example right now is Better Call Saul, which actually just had its mid-season break on Monday. But yeah, yeah, sorry, honey, you're going to have to wait. But this is kind of the half measure answer Netflix has to the fact that competitors like Amazon and HBO Max do weekly. They don't necessarily want to move away from the model where you can bench, where you can watch, you know, a bunch of episodes at once. But, you know, it's like we get two paychecks this way. You've already got people watching Ozark at these numbers for the first batch, and now you're getting them again for the second batch. There is a logic to that, and it wouldn't surprise me if this becomes the status quo for their biggest hits. Yeah, I think it's the model going forward for the the event series. And I remain convinced it's it was a happy accident as a result of the pandemic, because you had shows, especially the show that's in second, partially through their production uh, and then had to stop because uh, of COVID. And then so they released those episodes. And then when they were able to resume filming again, you know, film, film the rest, and then there was that delay. They may have stumbled off on it eventually, but I think the, the pandemic actually is what <laughs> made them switch to this model because that show in second is the return of Grace and Frankie. Uh, now with 95 episodes, 701 million minutes, the second half of the seventh and final season, uh, 12 more episodes actually also dropped on the 29th. So this is just a, a three-day number. We did see it actually last year when they went ahead and released what they had produced so far for the season. Uh, there were four episodes in, in August uh, and then they had to stop production because of the pandemic. And somebody watched both these shows and what an emotional ringer they went for. Huh? <laughs> I'll watch everything. Uh, but big drop though from, you know, the 2.5 billion of, of Ozark to the 701 million for for Grace and Frankie, but I'm certain there's, there's some overlap over there. Uh, meanwhile, in third is Moon Knight, five episodes, 681 million minutes, still doing very well. Was this for the fifth episode or the final episode? Yep, yep, five. So what were their six total? Yes, all right. So this was leading up to the big finish. So this is the moment where everybody still had question marks over their heads. Okay, that's what I was wondering. The one with all the answers was sort of, kind of, was the finale? Well, yeah, I was going to say, to be fair, I think we still had question marks over our heads after the final (laughs) one, too. So. What's the next Marvel series? Ms. Marvel comes out in a matter of days. Oh, there were okay. So we're gonna have Obi Wan and Ms. Marvel. Yeah. So this is gonna be a big. Yeah. But the complaint I'm seeing the most about Marvel right now is that shows like Moon Knight. And movies like Doctor Strange 2 are kind of disconnected. There isn't a Nick Fury character who is tying everything together. And so they all feel kind of standoffish and people want more of that tapestry. They want like the strong, this person goes with this person because this reason thing. And it might be an issue. Marvel probably needs to do a better job of pulling things together moving forward. I mean, like Moon Knight has nothing to do with Marvel as near as all but 1% of people can tell. And the 1% who can explain it, you don't really want to have any conversation with them. (laughs) Nerds. And then there's some stuff we've seen before for a few weeks now. And fourth is Selling Sunset, 584 million minutes. Uh, A predictable jump uh, for the first 
full week of availability for its newest season. Uh, Bridgerton still here in fifth, 511 million minutes, 16 episodes total. Uh, the unfortunate John Wayne Gacy tapes in six, 388 million minutes for its three episodes. Uh, but here's something new. It is Bulls hit the game show, 356 million minutes for its 10 episode season. You see what I That's see? What the I Howie Mandel thing. Yes, yeah. it's hosted by Howie Mandel. Yeah. You know, it's one of those things. It's easy TV to watch. So yeah, G- yeah. game shows and reality type stuff we've, we've established are going to be something that Netflix is going to focus on because, yeah, it's cheap. Well, it's no cake. It's no, this no, thankfully, not when, you know, <laughs> not, not, not when that are stuff's you sure involved. It's not cake. <laughs> Anyway, here's Outer Range, still in a 343 million minutes, eight episodes at kind of a low plateau. But again, it's Amazon, so it's probably doing better than we think it is. In Ninth Anatomy of a Scandal, we've seen that here before, 316 million minutes for six episodes. And something new in 10th, The Marked Heart, 277 million minutes for 14 episodes. I don't remember what this is. Neither do I. <laughs> Nor do it I. Is, it is probably not that, something we, we talked about because it is, a Colombian, it is a Colombian thriller drama. No, we definitely talked about it. This is oh, we one. talked about it. Oh, I don't okay. remember the name. Okay. I just, it involves a heart transplant. Oh, yes, I do. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, dear. Okay. Murder and all kinds of other stuff. All right. So over in movies, uh, still led by a Kanto, 439 million minutes. That's probably going to be its benchmark going forward now, which is still a wildly impressive number for movies. Sorry, parents. It's just Disney Titanic. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Turning Red still right behind it, 364 million minutes. So I'm actually happy with that staying power because that's now been here for actually almost two months at this point. Yes. And the trend we're going to watch is whether or not they actually go up because the overwhelming majority of students are either out of school now or would be will be within the next seven days, which mm. means the numbers should start creeping up. We probably won't see it for, on the charts for another three weeks or so. Right, right. But that point, several of the films you're about to mention here, and you can just, you know, say it as we go through them, are going to see larger numbers. Yeah, the the Disney effect as people are out of school will be very interesting to see. Um, meanwhile, we have some stuff not on Disney. Uh, in third is The Mystery of Marilyn Monroe, The Unheard Tapes, 252 million minutes. Uh, it's like a documentary type thing, right? We definitely talked about that. It is the obligatory spot for the trashy Netflix documentary. Last week, this spot was occupied by White Hot, The Rise and Fall of Abercrombie and Fitch. Oh, yeah. That's not here at all now. Yep. Next week, there'll be another trashy yeah. documentary here. <laughs> Speaking of trashy, I guess, in fourth, 365 days, this day, 182 million minutes. Did we not mention this one? I'm oh, we sure. did. No, we definitely talked about it because yeah, David say... covered it. Oh, it's Polish? Okay. Trashy. Oh, oh, that. Oh, it's the sequel to that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> It speaks volumes about a lot of this that we can't recognize many Netflix shows by the title. That really Mm -hmm. might be part of their problem right there. Yeah, you know, you're right. I think a lot of their shows and movies have extremely innocuous They're are very, yeah, very generic. And it takes something like, okay, when you see like Squid Game, doesn't that, even without hearing the description like doesn't that just kind of jump out of you is like wait what's that about as opposed to 365 days this day how it ends <laughs> there there is something to to having the the title that that does grab your attention uh some more disney plus 
titles. Here's Moana in fifth, 158 million minutes. Uh, the aforementioned How It Ends, the very silly title, 144 million minutes. That's on that's on Netflix. Uh, but back to Disney for Luca in seventh, 139 million minutes. Uh, this one we've not seen before, Silverton Siege, 117 million minutes. Yeah, we did discuss this one in the West- South African. Yeah, film. the description didn't uh, do it justice. It's yeah. it's it's very Hollywood in its style and very cinematic and stars the mummy, Arnold Voslo, as uh, the, uh, I guess, the police captain who's trying oh, yeah. to talk the, uh, the freedom fighters, let's call them, out of the bank where they have taken hostages in 1970s era South Africa. Mm-hmm. And ninth is, for some reason, Kung Fu Panda 3, 106 million minutes. I, I look to see, now that we've just hit the very beginning of May, if, if that was something that came back uh, and just somehow people, a bunch of people watched it in one one day. But no, it doesn't appear to have just arrived back to, to Netflix, at least in, in May. I'm not sure. It's probably always been there. Not not quite sure when it arrived. And wrapping up the movies for the you know the biggest month in, in streaming that Nielsen has ever seen, uh, The Atom Project with a whopping 95 million minutes. Yeah. So if you're under 100 million a minute and you're starting... <laughs> There's a problem. I do want to go back and say, parents, I am dead serious. You're going to want entertainment this summer. Kung Fu Panda 3 is one of the sweetest, kindest movies Hollywood has made in the 21st century. And it is excellent, too. We absolutely love it. It really is. Yeah, I love all of the Kung Fu Panda films. They're just super wonderful. I will have to go back and look, but I think the Adam Project with 96 million minutes may be the first time we've had. I a, think that's the first under under 100 to yep. make the chart. Yeah, that's that's what I was wondering too. And yeah, for some reason I said 95, but it's 96. But same same diff really. And for what it's worth, the Adam Project at least is a catchy title. It yes. is. Uh, unlike many of the other ones, we recognize this one right away. But maybe it's also because it stars Ryan Reynolds. Mm-hmm. Uh, meanwhile, in Acquired, it is 10 shows that we've seen before. Once again, all is right with the world because it's led by Coco Melon, 767 million minutes for its 18 episodes. Better Call Saul, 568 million. Married at First Sight and Fairly Odd Parents still here. New Girl sneaks in again. We've seen that periodically, 217 million minutes for 246 episodes. Uh, but nothing terribly exciting on uh, on this list for this week. The most noteworthy aspect of it is that it is entirely Netflix. So mm-hmm. we had in original, we had one Disney Plus show, we had Moon Knight, and we had one Amazon show. We had Outer Range. Mm-hmm. But across original acquired, it is literally 90% Netflix entries. Yeah. Whereas movies is 40% Disney. And I just think that's going to be the trend for the next two months. And we're going to see Luca Moana turning red and Canto repeatedly on these charts because that's the entertainment value. Do we think we see uh, Bluey and whatnot get a bump too? Maybe entirely possible. Okay. But again, because of second screening and because of the blind spots with this, I really can't say it for sure. I think it should. But, you know, it's it's hard to predict when something is we know it's off by this much. You you know what the analogy here is when we look at these numbers and say this movie was number one on the charts this week. It's when you look at what the number one rental at Redbox is. It's <laughs> like congratulations, that is the number one movie at Redbox or the number one DVD that shipped out of uh, Netflix this week. I think last week it was like Cop Shop or something like that. That's great, but that is a very specific demographic that rents movies at Redbox. 
that gets DVDs by mail from Netflix. It's not showing the full picture. And I would love to know what people are watching on their mobile devices. Yeah, the, the closest thing is still Netflix's top tens list, which is I mean, it's their it's their data. They're 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 thrown out there. So I guess it's a, a better idea of if there's anything you know different that's showing up on there that's not on the you know with a big number that's not on the, the Nielsen list, which means it has a lot of you know mobile viewing. But yeah, there's just not not a lot of data out there. That's that's why we you know we discuss this. We 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 do I do stress we don't put our entire faith in, in these. It is just something interesting to to talk about. But yeah, it is very literally just a sliver of the data that's available. But it's. The easiest data that we have. Yeah, next week we're looking for to see what kind of jump Ozark takes. Uh, I don't think there's anything new that's going to be big just yet. The stuff I'm looking forward to seeing on the list is still a couple weeks away because that came out in the middle of May, like say like Lincoln Lawyer. Yeah, that's that's all for the ratings for this week. In our green lights and cancellations this week, Sony continues its polyamorous ways as they announced this week that a series based on Horizon Zero Dawn is in the works at Netflix. This joins the Last of Us series at HBO and HBO Max, a Twisted Metal series at Peacock, a God of War series at Amazon Prime Video, and a Gran Turismo series that hasn't found a streamer yet. What's left, Tubi? <laughs> Sony is showing the rest of the industry how you're supposed to be leveraging your video game intellectual properties. They're making series out of every video game they have. This is one reason why people are starting to buy up video game companies. Microsoft knows the, what they get when they buy Activision Blizzard. And we're going to be seeing a lot more of this soon. Also, every one of those video game series we just mentioned will be better than Halo. <laughs> That's a pretty low bar, though, isn't it? <laughs> Meanwhile, over at HBO, the redemption of the True Detective franchise is underway as Jodie Foster has been added to the cast for the fourth season. This season, dubbed Night Country, involves the investigation of the disappearance of six men from an Alaskan research station in the dead of winter. It sounds like the thing crossed with insomnia, and if that was a pitch that was sold to me, I'd buy it. And it's a good news, bad news type of week for J.J. Abrams and his Bad Robot production house as budget cuts at Warner Brothers Discovery are threatening the upcoming sci-fi drama Demimond. Yeah, so this is what's going to happen. If you have a good idea and you're currently scheduled for a David Zaslav project, it's not going to move forward. And it's nothing you did wrong. They're just cheap. The good news is that Apple TV Plus has signed up Bad Robot to produce a live action speed racer series. Wachowskis did it better. We'll see. We don't need to see. Speed Racer, the movie, is a damn near perfect film. A damn near perfect film. Oh, it's amazing, but I'm always buying what Apple TV Plus is selling. As always, we close out with what's been keeping us busy over the past week, and I have blown through all except the most recent episode of HBO Max's The Staircase, which I will watch this weekend. While I do remember the real-life story from the time when it happened, I didn't really follow it much or watch the documentary series on which it's based. Colin Firth is the highlight, playing against type, severely against type, as Michael Peterson, a writer and failed politician, a 
accused of murdering his wife. I know that the documentary team that produced the original series, docuseries, has said that they feel betrayed by the way they were represented as they think that this series makes them look like they manipulated footage to make Peterson more sympathetic. But I don't really get a sense of impropriety from what I've seen. I see that they talked about how to make the show appealing, but not necessarily represent him in a better than expected light. Anyway, if you have interest in true crime or mysteries, because I see it more as a mystery show, this is a good one. Raul, how about you? So this week, I'm actually going to recommend The Valet on Hulu. It's a movie. And this is actually my first Eugenio Derbez movie. And it was surprisingly good. I expected something a lot more superficial, but this one is really quite deep, even maybe a little bit preachy in some places. But don't worry, it's got plenty of goofy moments and slapstick that you'd expect or that I actually would have expected from a uh, Derbez movie. He does seem to do a lot of slapstick in his earlier works. Uh, But his acting here is very good. It's only unfortunate that he's crossed over into mainstream acting later in his career. But that doesn't take anything away from this movie. The plot is a bit of a twist on a boilerplate rom-com as Derbez plays an older gentleman, a parking valet, recruited to pretend to be the boyfriend of a glass glamorous actress to take the attention away from her actual boyfriend, an adulterous real estate mogul. But the valet has his own lady troubles as his wife wants to divorce him. And the lady who runs the local bike shop has her eye on him, too. How about you, Tim? Uh, So I'd seen a game kicking around some friends lists on Steam, so I gave it a chance. And it's called Vampire Survivors. And it is a very minimalistic, I guess, like bullet hell type game, I guess you could call it. Basically, you are, you're a pixelated, you know, guy. And there's just a constant stream of enemies coming straight at you. You are going to die. The question is just, you know, how long do you survive? You do not fire any weapons yourself in in this game. All you can do is move. You will periodically shoot at a weapon in various directions, depending on what type of weapon it is to kill the enemies headed at you. Uh, And as you collect, you know, experience orbs, you will level up, you'll improve the weapons, you'll get more weapons. It is very addicting with to see how how long you can last, what different types of builds you can you can try as you after you die, you do gain some gold to improve future runs and whatnot. And there's two very remarkable things about this game. It currently has 95,000 reviews on Steam and is 98% positive. And it also costs $3. So yeah, the the amount of bang for the buck in this is as absolutely insane. And it's probably not even finished yet. I thought it was a full game, but no, it's in early access and it's mostly done. It is, you know, fully playable in its, in its current state. Uh, there don't appear to be any bugs. It's just, it is insane. People are going nuts over this game. So yeah, if you want the utmost value you can possibly find on Steam, uh, yeah, go, go grab this one. It's fun. Sounds interesting. And David, how about you? So my recommendation this week will require a, a bit of a challenge from you, at least it did for me. I've been re-watching Stargate Universe, which I've always felt is one of the best kind of semi-abandoned uh, recent science fiction shows out there. Sci-Fi was going to air it for several seasons, and then after two, they had new leadership, and the new leadership basically cut out all of the good programming on Sci-Fi. So this one died after just two seasons. But I am telling you that if you watch the first three episodes of Stargate Universe, which is air part one, part two and part three, you will be hooked to the point that you have to keep 
watching the show. It is absolutely brilliant. Basically, a Stargate team gets stranded in an unknown part of the universe on a giant starship that they really can't control in the least. So it's just survival, survival, survival. It mimics the 33 episode that was the official pilot for Battlestar Galactica. Only the entire series is that. And it really works. However... I was watching it on Amazon and it was a problem because Amazon doesn't think I should be able to watch it even though I own it. We've gotten to that point with streaming media where if you try and play something that even if you own it, if somebody else has the licensing rights, it could cause hiccups for you. Thankfully, I eventually figured out Pluto TV has its own Stargate Universe channel. So you can go there and you can watch it. And if nothing else, the first three episodes, I'm telling you. Thank you for listening to Streaming Into the Void. Please consider subscribing via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we welcome your feedback. Remember that we're on social media at Streaming Void and online at streamingintothevoid.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider rating us and giving us a review in your favorite podcast player. Be sure to watch for us again next week. 